Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. I'm recording this uh, late July from my office in Mount Home, Tennessee, and we are returning to our landmarks of Onco Farm series. We're talking about landmark um, publications and, and studies in oncology. Um, uh, specifically to drugs, and uh, we're keeping with the theme we've been doing lately of breast cancer. So the last one we did, what, the last one of these we did was AC followed by every three-week paclitaxel. This is the New England Journal of Medicine 2008 Spirano paper weekly paclitaxel in the adjuvant treatment of breast cancer. And as we'll see when we get into this, um, the title is a little misleading. Uh, a better title would have been. Um, something like what is the optimal taxane and taxane regimen in the adjuvant treatment of breast cancer following AC chemotherapy. So this was published in 2008. Um, so to give a, a little uh, historical context, um, up to this point, um, at least in our, our landmark series here for breast cancer, we've talked about adjuvant CMF, how AC was as good as CMF, slightly better in some other studies, but shorter duration of chemo. We've talked about AC followed by every three-week paclitaxel. Now this is AC followed by weekly paclitaxel, which is one of the preferred regimens, probably the most commonly used adjuvant breast cancer regimen. Now, um, w this study was started accruing patients in 1999, so this was before dose-dense AC was there. This was before trastuzumab entered into the adjuvant arena as well when this was done. Potential um, future episodes as well, as far as landmarks and oncopharm series. So April 17, 2008, I first read this study uh, as part of a journal club um, presentation during my PGY1 residency. Um, everyone had to join this kind of journal scan group. So I joined the internal medicine group and uh, you know once a month you got together there was a list of articles sent out of stuff that recently you know recently published. You picked one, you presented it in kind of 15 minutes. I remember presenting this one saying I think it's practice changing. Um, of course, I was the only one interested in oncology within the group, and everyone else was like, oh, it seems kind of small. Well, it turns out it was practice changing, because now this is considered the standard of care. Um, now, 2008 was not that long ago, um, although it was uh, more than 11 years ago, so that tells you something about how old I'm getting. So, top songs that week, based on Billboard. The top rock song was Psycho by Puddle of Mud. Never heard of it. The top country song was You're Gonna Miss Me by Trace Atkins. Never heard of it. The top mainstream pop song that week was Love Song by Sarah Bareilles. You know, it's kind of catchy. I'm not gonna write. You know, I'm not gonna sing it. Um, top rap song was Lollipop by Lil Wayne. And I'm not gonna sing that one. Uh, and then the top song that I was listening to at that time, uh, the Black Keys album Attack and Release had been uh, released on April 1st. So I was listening to that album a lot on my walk into the office. The top movie that weekend? Jackie Chan's The Forbidden Kingdom. Don't remember it, never saw it. Um, I think the, the takeaway from all this is I, I had no idea. I was oblivious to pop culture in the middle of my PG Island residency. Now, I mentioned uh, the lead author here, uh, Joseph Sperano. You might remember his name as lead author on the recently published Taylor RX study looking at um, the Oncopharm 21 gene assay in determining uh, which women uh, should or should not receive adjuvant chemo in that intermediate risk group. So this was an intergroup study. So that means several different cooperative groups got together, pulled their resources to accrue patients 
um, and they were able to accrue something more like more than 5,000 patients uh, in, in about two and a half years. So this was the Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group, ECOG, SWOG, Southwestern Oncology Group, and then Cancer Leukemia Group B or CLGB and the North Central Cancer Treatment Group. So several groups got together and published this. So uh, getting into the, the details of the study, um, one difference I'll point out right away uh, if we compare back to the AC followed by every three-week uh, article, what we talked about last time in this series, that's the Henderson et al. article. Uh, that article included patients uh, that were high risk based on being node positive. This also include high risk lymph node uh, negative breast cancer patients. So T2 and T3 patients were included in this, which is a, the first time that appears in one of these landmark studies that we've gone through. So patients got AC, so 60 milligrams per year squared, Doxorubicin 600 per year squared of cyclophosphamide given every three weeks. Again, this is before dose dense for four cycles. Then they were randomized to one of four taxane regimens. Um, now, the primary analysis of this was looking at paclitaxel versus docetaxel or every three week versus weekly. So there was an assumption based on that that either one taxane was superior or one interval was superior every three week versus every week. So we had 175 milligrams per squared of paclitaxel every three weeks, or 80 milligrams of paclitaxel weekly for 12 uh, total weeks, so either four cycles of the every three weeks or 12 weekly cycles of the weekly dosing. Docetaxel was 100 milligrams per squared every three weeks for four doses, or 35 milligrams per squared of docetaxel times 12 weekly doses. Um, I will come back to the dose modifications, pre-medication support of care. That's in the supplementary appendix. It's a useful thing to screenshot, to have on hand, because the regimen's given a lot, so it's useful to, to know those or have them handy. Um, patients were required, if they were hormone positive, to do tamoxifen for five years. Uh, in June of 2005, there was a protocol amendment allowing the use of aromatase inhibitors. Primary endpoint, disease-free survival. When new thing included in that endpoint compared to earlier studies, it was contralateral breast cancer as being considered um, a recurrence and a recurrence event. Um, as I mentioned, uh, you know the primary comparison was paclitaxel versus docetaxel or weekly versus every three week, which is not how they present, at least in a figure, their primary results. Um, they did have to use the O'Brien Fleming boundary method. Um, uh, and then as well as uh, stratification for um, the different regimens, node status, estrogen receptor status, things along those lines. Uh, again, October 99 to January 2000, they accrued um, almost 5,000 patients, and that's about 200 more than the goal they included. So they're able to accrue a lot of patients in a relatively short period of time. It helps that breast cancer is a very common disease, and again, also helps that this is an intergroup study. Uh, the median age was 51 across all four of the uh, regimens. 11.5% um, were node negative, so there weren't a lot of node negative folks. 10% had actually more than 10 lymph nodes that were positive, uh, but 55% of patients fell into the 1 to 3 lymph node positive status. Uh, almost 70% were estrogen receptor, they were hormone positive, either ER, PR, or both. So about 70% hormone positive. And uh, about 19% of patients were, had expression of HER2, as they call us in the study. So uh, next we're going to talk about how patients tolerated this. And we're going to look at the number, uh, 
percentage women who had to have a dose reduction. So uh, here are the numbers, 22%, 29%, 28%, and 40%. What I would ask you to guess, which, which regimen had the poorest tolerance? Which one had a 40%? So two out of five women had to have a dose reduction. Which regimen do you think it was? It was the weekly docetaxel regimen that had 40% of patients requiring some sort of dose reduction. The every three-week paclitaxel dose had the best tolerance. Only 22% of women required uh, a dose reduction. And then the 29 and 28% were the weekly paclitaxel and every three-week docetaxel. So uh, patients uh, were followed for a median of, of more than five years. There's no difference between docetaxel, paclitaxel, uh, no difference between every three-week versus three-week. But when you look at both disease-free survival and overall survival by specific regimen, that's when you start to see some differences. And as we know, weekly paclitaxel performed the best. So if you compare weekly paclitaxel to the standard, which was every three paclitaxel, it was superior um, uh, to that. And if we go through, I'm going to read these, um, the disease-free survival rate. You know what? No. We'll go to the overall survival. That's what's most important. So five-year overall survival rate for weekly paclitaxel, 89.7%. So almost 90%. Uh, the next best was every three-week docetaxel, 87.3%. So a little more than 2% absolute benefit compared to the next competitor, although that value wasn't uh, statistically significant. Um, the next was paclitaxel every three weeks, 86.5%. So uh, not quite a 3% absolute difference. Now that was statistically significant. And then weekly docetaxel performed the poorest, 86.2%. Again, the weekly docetaxel group had the most dose modifications. So what we see from this, uh, I think was surprising at the time because these drugs both work the same way. We would think that they would both have the same efficacy or similar efficacy, uh, especially uh, if they're given a different way. But what we saw was different. The best docetaxel regimen was an every three-week regimen. It was better than the weekly docetaxel regimen, uh, at least a, so it was a 1% difference, so we won't say it's better, okay? We can't really say that, but what we can say is a weekly paclitaxel was superior to every three-week paclitaxel. Why that wasn't seen with docetaxel uh, is unknown. But based on these efficacy results and weekly paclitaxel being superior in, in really a pre-specified subgroup analysis, that became the standard of care going forward. Now, one thing that's important for all of us to consider is gonna be the toxicity profile because it is different both between agent and between dosing schedule. So you can probably guess which regimen had the most grade four neutropenia, being an ANC less than 500. That would be docetaxel almost uh, exactly mirroring the percentage of patients requiring a dose reduction. 46% of patients in the every three docetaxel group had uh, grade four neutropenia. And docetaxel Q3 week also had the most febrile neutropenia and infection, as you would expect. Fatigue, uh, most common with docetaxel compared to paclitaxel, regardless of regimen. So 9 and 11% respectively in the docetaxel Q3 and weekly group had uh, a grade three fatigue. Now, a grade three fatigue is going to basically interfere with the patient's ability to take care of themselves and their activities of daily living. That's compared, so let's say 10% with docetaxel compared to two or 3% in the paclitaxel arm. So a big difference with regard to fatigue. With regards to myalgia and arthralgia, so muscle and joint pains, uh, the difference was not drug, but the difference appeared to be dose of the drug as determined by the every three-week regimen. So the numbers were basically 6% uh, 
in either taxane group with myalgia arthralgia if it's given every three weeks compared to one or two percent with the weekly regimen. So that appears to be a peak-dependent effect or has to do with the dose because the every three-week taxane regimen, of course, had a higher dose than the weekly regimen. Uh, lacrimation, so excessive tearing. Uh, 5% of patients had a grade 3 uh, or 4 um, excessive tearing in the weekly dose of taxal group, less than 1% or 0 in the other groups. Um, now, what we now see is dose limiting most of the time in the weekly paclitaxel is neuropathy. So when you consider grades 2, 3, or 4 neuropathy, that's 27% in weekly paclitaxel uh, compared to 20% with the every three-week paclitaxel, so, uh, and then 16% in the docetaxel. So weekly paclitaxel does have the most neuropathy, um, but much less neutropenia, say, compared to that docetaxel every three-week regimen. So this is what we got and what led to our current standard of care of AC followed by T, which is what we would still give for women who uh, would be... Um, uh, HER2 unamplified that would not have HER2 targeted treatment. So we had CMF, we had AC, we had AC followed by every three-week paclitaxel, and now we have AC followed by weekly paclitaxel. Some other landmark studies we've got to talk about still, uh, dose-dense AC, and then of course the inclusion of trastuzumab and how that worked its way from the metastatic setting into the adjuvant setting. Uh, so there's always much, 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 much more to talk about on Oncopharm. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate... Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Forgot to tell you. Back to the the uh, supplementary appendix. Boy, this is lowbrow low brow podcasting here, John. Okay, so the dose modifications for AC. ANC above 1,500, platelets above 100. Now, that's the same for the taxane regimen if it's given every three weeks. For weekly arms, though... Uh, you only need to have an ANC of 1,000 to be able to go forward with treatment uh, every week. Uh, and I'm going I'm to quote here because this is something that comes up quite a bit in our practice. For weekly arms, patients required omission or delay of a dose for medical reasons, toxicity, or non-medical reasons, holiday, vacation, were advised to receive all 12 doses within 15 weeks from initiation of weekly taxane therapy. And they go through the pre-medications that they, that they gave for the taxanes. Now, what this tells me, uh, this is really useful to have because that's how they did it in the study. And it would be great for every woman to get all 12 doses of paclitaxel in 12 weeks. But holidays coming up. Say they're scheduled to get their chemo on Monday, um, every Monday, and there's a holiday and clinic's closed. Well, do you do it Tuesday? Do you wait a week? As long as you can get all 12 doses in 15 days, that's considered uh, adequate based on the protocol. So keep that in mind. It also gives you some leeway, say a woman's completed eight of their weekly 12 cycles and just says, you know, I really, you know, really would like a break. The neuropathy is really annoying. Um, you know, I really would like a break. After, you know, they're two thirds of the way done, seems reasonable to give them a one week break because you can probably get the 12 doses in 13 weeks and still have a couple weeks to spare to beat that 12 doses within 15 weeks threshold set forth here. All right, back to the closing of the podcast. Uh, you can listen, obviously, however you're listening to this now, but also Google Play, uh, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Give us a rate and review in the iTunes store. Helps other people find us. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at FarmDeetNip. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Uh, send us a message. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of in the future and what you like about the podcast. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses and the schedule of doses matter.
Thank you.